Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 199 of the Peristyle Podcast. Crazy, we got 200th episode coming up next week, but this week we got a really good show for you on the podcast. We got a lot of uh, awards talk. USC announced their award winners last week. We didn't get a chance to talk about it since it was after the show. So we're going to talk with Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment about some of the Trojans that were recognized uh, by their peers. Uh, we're going to have Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. And again, like we have done the past few weeks, we'll do a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast on Tuesday. And we have some questions for that already. But if you have any questions for this show in future weeks or for the recruiting show on Tuesday, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can always call us, 206-888-6755. Leave us a voicemail, and we can play that on the podcast and answer your question on the air thanks very much for all the questions that have come in we got i think we got three more pages of them for today so we'll try to get to those right away but i wanted to say hello to coach harvey hyde who's joining us how's it going coach hey ryan uh, happy holidays to you and all of our listeners out there and uh, we're coming up to our 200th episode wow yeah i'm telling you, that is something how fast it's gone and how much fun we all have and so on so uh I hope we can celebrate that in some special way, uh, Ryan. Maybe you can, uh, you know, hit your wallet a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> we'll all gather somewhere in some watering hole, and of course, I'll be the most inexpensive because I drink water. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> so I'm an H2O brand guy, so everything will be cool. But I, hey, I'm looking forward after being on secret assignment last week. It's it's great to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you, Coach, and. Uh... Wanted to thank, before we get into all that, uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com if you need tickets for anything. Concerts, the theater, sporting events, you want to go see a musical or something, check it out. Go give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. And Coach mentioned the uh, the 200th episode, and we are talking about doing something special, Coach. Maybe get a big round table of all of us together uh, for one show. Uh, we might go down to McKay's where we do our live show, so we're going to try to arrange that. So. Check out, uh, check out the site. We might have some more information on the podcast Tuesday, so I'll try to arrange something. It would be nice, Coach, because 200 episodes, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of USC Trojan talk. We've been doing it for a while now. It is, and it'll be a lot of fun to get us all together. We do this, but we don't always see each other. So it'd be great to see us each other and uh, disagree and agree and give everybody our opinions on all the topics you might bring up. And maybe some of our listeners out there want to shoot in some topics for all of us to discuss. Yeah, that'd be great. So drop, drop us an email with the idea that it could be a, a roundtable next week with lots of different topics and stuff. So we'll we'll let we'll let the fans decide what we want to talk about. And coach, you know, two hundred episodes we have been around a long time. Uh, I think I've said this a number of times. We kind of started this because there wasn't a lot of USC Trojan talk on the radio, and we just weren't hearing any of it. And so I wanted to do a show that you know we could kind of talk about every week and. I know you've mentioned a bunch of times people that you just run into that are fans of the show. I was at uh, 
Manhattan Beach had a nice fireworks show last night. They do a Christmas fireworks show. We went into one of the local watering holes, and, and this guy, Greg and Andy, a couple of guys were in there with their dates, and they said, oh, you're the guy from the podcast. <laughs> we started talking recruiting and USC stuff, and we we're you know having some drinks. It was a lot of fun. So it was funny just like walking into a bar somewhere, and people are coming up, and they want to talk about the podcast. Hey, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I-, I hear the same t- thing, too, Ryan. And, uh, and uh, you know, why don't we bring some holiday uh, things down? If people want to come to McKay's, I'll tell you what I do. I have a, uh, sweatshirts that have my name on it and sports topics and so on for the regular shows I do uh, daily in Las Vegas and, of course, with ESPN. And, hey, I'll bring down several sweatshirts. And if people want to come down there, we'll give them out. I mean, uh, I don't can't bring that many, but I'll bring maybe five or six. How's that? And if you want to bring something down with your name on it or something that has to do with, you know, uscfootball.com, we'd like to invite people to come there. I really would like to see some people come down and we'll have some fun. And, you know, off the air we can answer some questions, too, that maybe sometimes we can't do on the air. I like that, Coach. I'll, I'll bring some uscfootball.com gear. i got some hats and shirts and polos and things so we'll, we'll bring stuff down so yeah um we'll uh check out uscfootball.com after the show we'll i'll i'll confirm with uh, gerard and dan and see if everyone can come down there uh monday afternoon we'll we'll i think we'll probably go for about 11 o'clock at mckay's which is right at the base of the uh the hotel there i think it's the radisson right across the street from usc next to the galen center so i think that'd be a fun a fun kind of deal coach I agree, and if any, if I can find it, anyone can. Okay, <laughs> so so you know, uh, so we'll look forward to seeing everybody there. Okay, come on down. Uh, I know a lot of people have to work on Monday and so on, but if you're out there and in the area, you're not working. Come on down, and have some fun with us. I like. I, that I would idea. really like to meet a lot of the people personally. I really would. I would too, and I think it'd be fun. We'll we'll stick around and have some lunch, so you can probably have some lunch with us after the show. So we'll right, we're shooting for eleven. So that's the plan now. Eleven next Monday. The nineteenth at McKay's. Uh, it won't be a lot. We'll 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 tape it and then we'll just put the show up afterwards. Um, and I think it'll be a lot of fun. So I'll, I'll confirm with Gerard and Dan. Make sure they can come down there, and it, we'll make a nice afternoon out of it. That'll be a lot of fun. I'll tell you, what, I'm looking forward to it already. All right, I love it, Coach. Great idea, Coach. You always have the good stuff there. Um, well, we like to have fun with people, yeah. you know. And uh, a lot of times, people don't have a chance to meet us and eyeball the eyeball and ask some questions they wanted to ask and we'll do it 200th episode so i think it'll be fun well let's get to some of these questions coach um well you know what i think i want to get something from you first before we get we do have some questions but there's been some coaching changes in the pac-12 and and you being a former coach and uh, i wanted to kind of get your thoughts on some of the coaching changes that have occurred and what you think of them well, first of all, I think it's going to be a different Pac-12. It's going to be a wide-open Pac-12. It's going to be a crazy Pac-12. I think one of the best hires uh, Washington State did at, uh, with Mike Lee, uh, Leach. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, guys, if I was preparing for him, if I was opening, I think UNLV opens against him. I'm not sure. How do you prepare for him? Wow. I'm going to tell you he's going to throw the ball 70 times a game. Every skilled player that's around will want to go there. He's a skilled player maker. And he's got a couple of quarterbacks there that can whip the ball around. I think that's going to bring a lot of excitement to Washington State football, and it's going to make them an immediate contender. As far as uh, playing them, I'm glad they're in the Northern Division, believe me, because I wouldn't want to, if I was the SC defensive coordinator, to try to figure out how to slow him down. You know, he's a little different, but he certainly does give you a different thing to 
to stop. So now at Oregon, you've got Kelly. At Washington State, you've got Lee. Just sort of a collection pot here of Rich Rodriguez, who had a great offense at uh, at uh, West Virginia and went to Michigan, and all those players that that are that are now part of uh, Brady Hope. There are, are all the recruits that Rich Rodriguez brought brought there, and he's going to be a spread offense. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be really exciting, and uh, I think Rich Rodriguez will bring something that's going to be exciting. They're all going to bring something different. The only really pro teams left as far as offense is going to be USC and Stanford and Cal. Uh, and then you look at Jim Moore Jr. now at UCLA, and uh, you know I, I you know I I'll, I'll go along with it. I'll go along with it. Uh, I, I always give a guy a, an opportunity, but I think the main key there is who's going to be his assistant coaches. He hasn't been in college football. He doesn't really know college coaches. I mean, when he comes down the 405 freeway, what street does he get off on to go to a certain high school? He's going to have, and plus he's going to have to pass an NCAA test on recruiting and bylaws and so on because he can actually, before he can actually get off campus. So he's got a lot of things he has to do to put together a um, a staff. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, let me put it to you this way: it all comes down to who his assistant coaches are. You have to have a relationship with the high school coaches. Whereas, whereas the relationship where you walk in there and you don't hand out cards, you watch walk in there and you hug the coaches. No, coaches hug you, and you whisper in his ear. You know, I really need that kid over there. Who's the one pulling the trigger? And and they tell you the grandma equipment man whatever and, and you, you get favors from certain coaches why because you've taken care of the players that they've sent you before and the players are happy now you're starting a whole new format there who's jim mora jr where's dad went to occidental his dad coached at occidental college his dad coached in the nfl so people know of senior but really don't know much about junior so there's going to be this test pattern out there for a while to see just exactly what happens. I don't see a lot of changes this coming year. Michael Johnson, the offensive coordinator, I would think might stay, but then again, he has a chance to go to Akron as the head football coach. He's going to interview there. It's, I don't see how you interview there and prepare a team to for the Hunger Bowl and all the things they're trying to do there at UCLA. I think they took too long to select a coach. And remember, I know I've gone a long ways on this a long time, but you can't buy success. I mean, here they almost double the salary from Jim Moore Jr. from what Rick Neuheisel was making. And, hey, you can't buy success. I mean, you pay a guy $200,000, and if he's the right guy, he'll win at UCLA. So uh, I think that money thing is, is a little bit over-exaggerated, that, oh, if you pay a guy a lot of money, you're going to win football games. I think it's big phony number i mean as far as hey i would take a job at ucla if i thought it was the right job i'd say hey let me tell you give me that job and when i'm through here you pay me what you think i deserve that's the way it used to be i didn't even worry about the contract i said we'll sign that later i got to go to work i got to get out there and start recruiting players and put my staff together then later on we get to the money portion now it's the money portion that tries to impress everyone well, paying a guy three million dollars or two and a half million dollars and all of a sudden, people start to believe, oh, they're going to win at UCLA. Hey, that's so phony. I mean, you got to have guys that know what's going on in this area and what it takes to win in the Pac-12. Because the Pac-12 is going to be a different types of, type of conference now. No, I think it will be. I mean, you're talking about some 
powerful coaches that you haven't really seen uh, like that. So I think they're good hires, and I think the Pac-12 money has allowed to do that, the, the television contract. So um, you almost get the feeling, I think Dan Weber talks about this, USC is kind of subsidizing these other Washington State. I mean, what, what does Washington State bring to the table as far as the television contract goes? Like, not much. Um, USC does, so it's kind of like USC is almost helping pay for the Washington State coaching staff. No, I, I agree 100% for that. Uh, Washington's total attendance for the year at home might be what UCLA's game was to USC. One game. So, you know, and when you do the income sharing portion, uh, well, you know, maybe I might be greedy, but I'd have never agreed with that, okay? But there must be other reasons why you agree with that. Uh, maybe you got outvoted. But, uh, man, well, I'm not going to subsidize someone else's program. No. All right. All right. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're trying to beat me. Why would I supply another army with ammunition? You you tell me that to fight against me? <laughs> huh? When we're sending you 12 tanks, we're sending you some aircraft, so when we get together, we'll have a great fair battle. Um, I mean, wow. It is, and it's kind of crazy. Well, let's jump into some of these questions, Coach. Uh, let's see. We have... This is Rob F. from Redondo Beach. He's USC class of 96. Um, he had a couple of questions. One, he wanted you to comment on the uh, evolution and trends from the larger football pads, like the neck rolls and the cowboy collars. And he sent a few pictures of these, actually. I can't really show them on the podcast, obviously. He's like, the current trend seems to go towards barely wearing any pads at all or all these like Nike combat Uniform. Some wide receivers don't even wear thigh or hip pads in their pants anymore. I remember seeing players with huge pads and neck rolls in the 80s and 90s. They were especially identifiable on famous players like Jack Lambert and Howie Long. And if you remember even um, David Beeler, USC kicker, who was a, a fullback, had the neck roll and ended up coming into that Cal game and kicking a 49-yard field goal with his neck roll on because he, he was just a long field goal guy. But um, he's like, would larger pads help cut down on the amount of injuries since players are bigger, faster, and stronger? And then he said, what happened to the neck roll? Doesn't it prevent against stingers? Did, I don't know if you know anything about those, Coach, or maybe you can comment. Well, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I agree with this uh, gentleman 100%. First of all, speed is the name of the game. So everything they're trying to do is make everything lighter, uh, make everything where you can run faster. So obviously the old pads... Uh, limited uh, and weighed more than the current pads weigh. Uh, the, the, uh, first of all, half the equipment, when you look at football players, are illegal. They'll call celebration running into the end zone, but they won't call <clears throat> officials uniform rules, which mean you have to cover your knees. Now, how many players do you see now, especially kickers? Heck, they're like long pants. They don't even cover their legs and receivers and so on. How do you get protection in your knees? You don't. And he's right about the hip pads and thigh pads and tailbone, tail, uh, pads, uh, tailbone pads. I mean, before the game in the old days, the officials would walk through the locker room, and they probably still do, but they don't say anything. Or they're, and they used to check every single player for pads. Make sure you wear those pads. You don't have hip pads on. Or they'd send them out of the game if they didn't have them on. Or if you had your pants pulled up too high, they'd say, you can't play with those pants on. Go change them or that's that. You don't see that anymore. And another thing I notice, I don't see them 
wearing a helmet like a helmet used to be worn. A helmet in the past, you used to have to pull it out with the ear holes to put it on your head so it fit you very comfortably. Now they just grab the face mask and pull it right off the, their face. In the old days, if you did that, you'd skin your ears. You'd pull your ears off. So you notice all of these things, too, when you're watching a game the way it used to be. And the collar rolls that he's talking about, <clears throat> the reason people wore those is you wouldn't get whiplash. When you hit, your neck would not go back too far. It would hit that pad around your neck so your head wouldn't go back. It had a limit of how much space your head could go back, and the pads were bigger as far as on the shoulder pads and fit better. Now everything is taped down. The jerseys are taped down. Not that you shouldn't do that because you don't want anybody to be able to grab you and so on as far as holding. But, yes, the equipment that people are wearing today, uh, protective equipment, are far less than what they used to wear, and I think it's because of the speed of the game you feel as though that you can run faster if you don't have the protective equipment on, and I don't think it's right. I really think that these uh, officials and school officials should enforce the rules better and not allow this to happen. Because if you allow it to go, you know they'll go out there without wearing any pads. These kids don't care. They want to be able to run fast and cover guys and so on, and they see everybody doing this in the NFL and so on. So they copy, and unless you enforce it, like they have the celebration rule and some of these other rules, they'll take it as far as they can go. All right. Well, thanks for that one. That was Rob in Redondo Beach. Good stuff there. Um, I thought you might know more about that anybody, Coach. <laughs> so, no, I know. I know how they used to do because we used to the kids used to cut down the knee pads. If you, if you guys played football in the past, you remember what they used to do. When they used to come out and they were long, they would cut them down to be like three inches and just put them in above their knees. And the tail ba- tailbone pad, they would take that and cut that down so it would be real small too. And they would get away with it. They'd actually get away with it because they felt, uh, remember the old strap-on hip pads, and they went to girdle pads. And now they just have little teeny pads they wear with girdle pads. And uh, uh, they, the kids used to cut those pads down. And uh, that way they could, uh, you know, feel faster and quicker and so on. And uh, I, I just think you're right. The, the game is bigger and faster and so on, and you've got to maintain the rules and regulations of safety. All right. Uh, let's see. The next question we have uh, has to do with shocker. Junior's leaving early. Um, so let's see. It's Ray Williams. He said, of the juniors that may leave early, can you rate from 1 to 10, 10 being most likely they will leave early, the chances for, and then he lists four different players. I guess we can talk about them one at a time, Coach. Uh, 1 to 10, do you think Barkley stays or leaves? Uh, five, right in the middle. I think he's 50-50. I don't think he's one way or the other. I think that if he was leaving, he'd have definitely committed already. I think he's gathering information both ways. I said earlier, not I don't know if it was on this show, but I said it on the ESPN show, that he would not be invited back to New York, and he wasn't. And I, I just think that uh, he, he's got a different plan, and he's a different person than most people. I, I would say it's 50-50 right now, and of course he might make an announcement this afternoon. But I'd say right now it's 50-50. Okay. Uh, let's see. How about Matt Khalil, his offensive lineman? Well, I think, 
this is a tough one. I think he's going to go along with a lot with Matt does. I think they're very close friends. I mean, he can't get any higher as far as what the predictions are in the draft. He's supposed to be, what, the number two players selected in the NFL draft. So if he stays, he stays because of the emotion of being a Trojan and coming back for something really special, coming back to be a part of something that's never been done as far as with this group of kids going to a Rose Bowl and possibly winning a national championship and and being a special team the entire year, starting the day they all announced they're coming back. It would be something in football history at USC. Season tickets would be the highest they've ever been. Every home game would be almost a 90,000-attended game. It would be football mania at USC. Uh, and uh, he's the type of guy, because I'm the type of family, I know his father from football practice and so on, uh, they've got their head on their shoulders right. And, uh, you know, the NFL isn't something that just blows them away, but they have their other, his brother that's in the NFL, and he's successful. It's not going away. It's not going to go away. So, uh, you know, wouldn't be a bit surprised He's definitely going to do, I think, what Matt does. So how do you like that? Okay. Uh, let's see. He also lists um, T.J. McDonald. Well, <clears throat> T.J. McDonald, I think, is a, is a kid that needs another year. I think that the commissioner ruined his season. I'll just put it right on it. Not that he didn't have a great season. But, you know, you can, you can penalize a kid, but to suspend a kid – or supposedly, I'm never going to use this term, but I will, dirty football. He's not a dirty football player. He's an aggressive, great football player. And I think it threw his game off a little bit. I really do. Starling, Starling really came through and played really well at the end. I think he should come back. I hope he comes back like most Trojans do. Uh, I think that there's a good chance of him coming back. I would say 70% he comes back. I don't think he was happy with his performance. And I don't think he'll be someone that'll... I think he can go much higher in the draft. He's an aggressive, great football player that had to go through a lot this year with some of those penalties adjusting to the new rules that they have in the secondary for head-to-head contact and so on. I would say maybe 50% of his penalties that he was called for should have been called, but it changed his game. took his aggressiveness away, and he still should have that to be able to play in the NFL. So I, I would say, I, I would guess he's 70% coming back uh, in that situation. Okay, and then Nick Perry. Well, Nick Perry is one that I have the, the least confidence in coming back. Uh, I don't know why, because probably he's not from California. He's from Michigan. He's had a great career the second part of this season at USC. I didn't think he performed really well at the beginning of the year. Yes, he led the Pac-12 in sacks. I think he had, what, nine and a half or something. Uh, But I think uh, he had great success here. But I'll be honest with you. He didn't live up until the last part of the year what I thought he was going to be. He's going to be a great football player. So he has a different, I think, agenda than possibly the other guys. Uh, I would say uh, 
he would come out, uh, and and only because uh, of I just think he might come out. I just think he's on a different page in the book. I would be surprised if he comes back. I don't know. He might be very close to that group of kids, but I would think he's going. How do you like that? Okay, and then last one, Devon Kennard. I think he can play better, and I think he needs to stay. He, You know, when they moved to the middle linebacker, he lost a lot from his game. And I think he's a defensive end, and that's where he should be. He started to perform better at the end of the year, and I started seeing the 42 around a lot more. If Perry leaves, he's going to be the guy at defensive end along with the rest of them. He's got to have a great year and get into his rhythm, get more sacks, make a bigger splash. You know, if he leaves, I'm going to tell you, he is, he's going to be three, four, third, fourth round draft choice, I think. And uh, he has the potential of being a great player. I think he should definitely stay, and I think he will stay. If he's smart, he'll stay. Believe me, of all those players, he should stay. Okay, uh, that's for the juniors. Now, let's see. I wanted the last thing I wanted to talk about is some of the awards that were uh, were given out. And I don't know. Maybe I can just list them, coach, and then we can kind of talk about them if you want. Um, the most valuable player was surprise, surprise, Matt Barkley. <laughs> uh, most ins- inspirational player was uh, Christian Tupo. Uh, Red Ellison won the leadership award. Uh, Matt Khalil got the Offensive Lineman of the award, a Year Award. And Nick Perry, two guys you already mentioned, he got the Defensive Lineman of the Year Award. For Perimeter Player of the Year is uh, Robert Woods and TJ McDonald. Uh, special Teams Player of the Year was fullback Ross Cumming. He was on just about every coverage team, every special teams unit there was. He was out there playing. Who was um, that? Ross Cumming. The, uh, he, okay. Yeah, full, yeah. Yeah, he, he switched to fullback and from linebacker and did had a great right. year. Right, 46. Uh, service team player of the year was uh, Cyrus Hobby on offense and Anthony Sorrow on defense. So two guys that redshirted. You'll see them next year. Uh, the play of the game versus, UC- for, versus Notre Dame was uh, Nikel Roby. And the play of the game versus UCLA was Marquise Lee. He had those uh, nice touchdown grabs there. The Jackie... Jack Oakey Rise and Shine Award for the year's longest run was Curtis McNeil. He had a 79-yard run versus Washington. Howard Jones Football Alumni Club Academic Award for Best Academic Achievement was uh, Augusto Alonzo, who was a Rhodes Scholar candidate. Um, So nice for him. Bob Chandler Award was the Underclassman with Outstanding Athletic Ability, Academic Achievement, and Character, and that went to Hayes Pollard, who was tied with the lead in tackles on the team. The uh, John McKay Award, underclassman with the most competitive spirit, went to Nicole Roby. Definitely showed a lot of spirit this year. Joe, Collin, uh, Joe Collins Walk-On Award, punter Kyle Negretti, who played the whole year. Didn't have any punts and go into the end zone, Coach. Pretty amazing. And a uh, very limited number of ones uh, ran, you know, uh, returned. And he was a walk-on. He's still going to be a walk-on. Uh, Courage Award was Curtis McNeil. Co-Lifters Award, Rhett Ellison and Juwanza Starling. And then the captains, as you know, Barkley, Rhett Ellison, T.J. McDonald, and Christian Tupo. So those were the uh, the awards, Coach. What were your thoughts? Well, let me tell you, I think they hit it right on. If I was to uh, know the criteria, as you just outlined, and uh, how these players fit those uh, criteria, I think they're right on. I think those kids deserved it. I think they 
really played well. T.J. McDonald, as far as uh, getting the co-defensive player award, I tell you what, with Nick Perry, I tell you, he played viciously the first part of the year. You know he did. Nick Perry came on the second part of the year. So it balanced out, so I really like that. I like Roby. I like all, and a player of the game against Notre Dame, you can't believe Roby took Floyd right out of the football game. They should have sat over on the sideline and had a cup of coffee together. Uh, I, I'm going to tell you that Notre Dame didn't know what to do. They couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw the ball to Floyd. That was a great selection. Marquise Lee against UCLA, what a great selection that was. What a fantastic game he had. He's a tremendous athlete along with other, the, great, the other great athletes at USC. Uh, I, uh, Khalil left tackle, there's no question about that. Longest run of the year, uh, uh, Curtis McNeil, we all know that. Courage Award, McNeil, man, how can you have a better award for a kid like that? That kid, I love that kid. That kid is a tough kid, man, and a kid overcame a lot. And I said earlier in the year, this kid, don't worry about how big he is. He's got a huge heart. And I might have missed another one here or there, but I, uh, because I'm just going, going from what you said. But I think every award was right on, Ryan. I really do. Yeah, there were some some real good ones. And just overall, Coach, what a year. I mean, to, to finish 10-2 and two like that under the sanctions, I mean, you really have to give this staff and the players a lot of credit who didn't really care about the distractions. They really took the distraction part to heart. And, uh, you know, they, they just ignored all that stuff and, and were able to stay focused throughout the whole year. Just really impressive performance. Well, let me put it to you this way, Ryan. I think the thing that you have to look at on this year's team was it wasn't a very good football team at the beginning of the year. And I was uh, critical of it. I was critical of what they were doing offensively and defensively, if you know, the play calling, all the different things. The use of Woods as far as overusing him, not you know, and all the different things I talked about. Uh, but the team found a way to win. This year's this team, even if it didn't play well early in the year, found a way to win games rather than lose games. But I think this team really came together at Notre Dame. I think this is where this team came together and started to have an identity. The team, the first part of the season, didn't have any identity. I, if you asked me what offense they ran, I kept asking you, please tell me, Coach Giffen, what offense is this? Or defensively, what are we doing? And as this team went through the season, it found its identity. In fact, on ESPN one day, I was asked by uh, John Ireland and Steve Mason, Coach, the way they played against Arizona State, how many games will they win the rest of the year? And we went through the schedule, and I didn't have them winning any of them. Because that game was absolutely a, a game you want to – that was the game you never want to remember again. But the team came back. The team fought through that. Got a big win at Notre Dame. Damn near beat Stanford. What in the Eugene won that football game. Overcame a lot of controversial things that were going on. And ended up, I think, possibly one of the best teams in the country. I would love to have seen USC and Alabama play or LSU play. Someone from the Southeastern Conference. I would love to see that football game. I'd love to see a matchup on a neutral field, and we'll find out how just good Alabama's defense really is. We'll find out just how good LSU's defense really is. That won't happen, but at the end of the year, I would grade this team a C, and then admit, I'd give a, a C at midterm and an A for final exam. 
this team ended up a very competitive team that was together, played together, and it meant something together. And uh, I, I, that's the way I would best describe this team. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. We really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all the insights. We've got a lot of good stuff this week. And, again, stay tuned for next week. We'll post some details and stuff, hopefully in the podcast tomorrow and up on uscfootball.com. But we hope to see you down there at McKay's next week, Coach. I, I'm going to try to be there. I definitely am. And don't let me forget those sweatshirts, okay? All right. I'll, uh, I'll remind you. We'll, I'll arrange everything, and then uh, we'll plan it for next week. Give me a call, and let's th- again thank uh, – Southern California Ticket Service, if you want to go to uh, the Rose Parade, you can call him or call Sharp City in Pasadena or call him for Rose Bowl tickets. He's got it all. All right. Uh, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. Check them out. We'll be back in 30 seconds talking with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We are joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Joining the show. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Hey, pretty good, Ryan. Uh, wish we had a bowl game to look forward to, but other than that, uh, things are still looking up you know, pretty much through USC football right now. Yeah, for sure. Uh, ten and two season. We talked about all the awards with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde in the last segment, and we got a bunch of questions to get to. But I was able to confirm. It looks like uh, Dan, you're able to come uh, uh, to McKay's Monday at eleven, right? Right? You'll be okay. That'd be great. Okay, so I'm Look just. Uh, to it. Yeah, we're waiting for word from Gerard, but it looks like we're we're a go for that. So McKay's eleven o'clock on Monday. If you want to come down, we'll have some gear to give away. Uh, you know, come out, hang out with us. We'll have lunch afterwards if you want to ask us any questions and stuff. So it's been a it's been a fun run. I can't believe 200 episodes. So it'll be cool to to kind of do that. We'll we'll tape the show there at McKay's and I'll put the show up uh, soon afterwards, and we, we should be good to go. That sounds great. Yep. All right. Uh, well, let's jump into some of these questions, Dan. Uh, about the football team, there's some different ones here. Uh, Greg wanted to know. Has there been any update on the secondary coach position? Is Sammy Knight taking over the spot full-time, or are the coaches looking for someone to replace Coach Garza? Well, it looks like uh, Sammy certainly has been cleared to uh, you know, have full-time duties uh, in terms of um, uh, recruiting. He's, he's been on the road. Uh, I don't guess that USC has uh, asked for the Ohio State waiver so they could have maybe another coach, you know, come in so they could have an extra one cleared uh, to recruit. Actually, it's kind of interesting. USC went through the whole year uh, after losing Coach Garza and just, uh, you know, uh, didn't add to the numbers, uh, just moved Sammy Knight up. I thought they did a fabulous job, obviously, uh, if you look at all the uh, improvements uh, in the secondary. and A lot of that was uh, how they approached uh, uh, the way they played, uh, you know, the defense and uh, the aggressiveness and moving them up a little bit closer. And a lot of that, I think, is a, is a credit to Sammy. 
but I don't think he, you know, they haven't named him yet. Uh, and uh, I do think they are considering, do we have other options and what have you? I think uh, Sam actually does have another year uh, of a graduate assistantship if he wants it. Those are limited to two-year options. Uh, and Justin Mesa, the other grad assistant, has used his two years up. And um, there will be uh, an open spot there for a grad assistant. But, uh, but I don't think they've actually uh, said, yeah, Sam is uh, our guy and he's going to be full-time on the staff and all that. And I don't know if there are some issues with, you know, being a one-year grad assistant and then and moving up or any of that. Uh, I don't know for certain. But, uh, but I don't think it's been made uh, absolutely, uh, you know, he's, he is the, uh, he's the full-time hire. That, that hasn't happened that we know of yet. Okay, yeah, and the fact that he's out recruiting, I, you know, there are different waivers and stuff. Like you're seeing Ohio State get, you know, waivers. Basically, they have like two coaching staffs, like the one that's recruiting yeah, yeah. and one that's prepared for the bowl. So whatever whatever happened, we don't know if it's for sure that he's a full-time guy, but he is out in the road recruiting. So he either well, became... I think he can be a full-time guy now, but that doesn't mean going forward he would be a full-time guy. Counting him as a full-time guy gives them – you know, the, the, the correct number of, of full-time coaches allowed to recruit. Uh, and I guess what is it? You're allowed 10 full-time coaches, eight recruiting at any one time. And so I think they're going by that, that rule, but I don't think that necessarily he's designated uh, as a full-time coach, uh, say, going forward once they're finished recruiting and all that. I think, you know, that's to be decided. Okay. Well, thanks for that question, Greg. Uh, let's see. We have uh, Courtney Booker III had a question. Um, it seems Jesse Scroggins is behind the two redshirt freshmen at quarterback. Why is that? Is Jesse struggling with the playbook? Uh, what has him behind them? Wow, I, that's interesting that, uh, <laughs> that people, and, and we just almost have to assume most people aren't at, the, uh, at practice and what have you, that anyone would have an opinion on that. It's kind of changed uh, during the year, in terms of after uh, Jesse missed two uh, two months with uh, you know, with the injury to his uh, throwing hand, the right thumb, and the ligament damage and what have you, uh, there uh, he came back pretty well. It looked like threw the ball you know really well at the end of the year. Probably, if they had to insert someone uh, other than John Manugian, uh would have been uh, you know would have gotten a little bit more play because he'd already used up his redshirt year. So this year was going to count no matter what against him. Uh, you know, I, I still think uh, uh, Cody Kessler was ahead of the other two would be the way I would have said it. If, uh, if uh, uh, they had to replace Matt for say a whole year or a half or something like that, I think it would have definitely been, been Cody Kessler. I think part of that was, you know, Cody's ability to, Adapt, you know, to really understand the playbook and his, uh, uh, you know, confidence in the huddle and all, all of that kind of thing. But, uh, but I, I, I know I've read uh, a number of things on the P where guys have really strong opinions about uh, the three quarterbacks, who can do what. And, you know, some of them are, you know, people are, are, are kind of on the money a little bit and others don't seem to be on the money at all in terms of, uh, making really strong statements about uh, who can do what or who can't do what of that three-man quarterback group. I, I, I probably wouldn't make it that strong in terms of, uh, you know, the playbook or, 
uh, you know, one guy way ahead of another, or, you know, or one guy way behind or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think they each have their strengths and, uh, uh, probably, uh, you know, Jesse might even admit that, you know, getting comfortable in the playbook would be something he really wants to be able to do. Uh, and, um, so, uh, but I would let that play out. I think, uh, probably people are way too far down the road in terms of, uh, who would be next in line or what the strengths and, and, and all of that. They're, they're young. Uh, they're developing. They haven't really, uh, you know, had that responsibility yet. Uh, and so we'll see how it develops. I think it'll just be one of the fun stories to watch over the winter and the spring, uh, whether Mac comes back or not, uh, how these guys uh, separate mm-hmm. themselves from one another and uh, uh, as they develop. I mean, they're young young guys, and they're developing athletes and uh uh, I think we saw what a difference Matt Barkley's third year meant to him, and the, certainly the second half of his third year, where uh, where that maturing process took him. So, with young quarterbacks, I don't I don't think we want to come down really strong on terms of this is uh, what this person can or can't do. I think we let that play out on the field and and see how how they determine that for themselves. Okay, uh, let's see. Jeff is up next. He had a few questions. Uh, first one was, what's the story on T.J. Bryant? If I remember, he was a surprise recruit out of Florida, but he quietly redshirted last season. Now he's gone. What happened? Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry. That wasn't from uh, Jeff. This was from Tarion. Uh, he's like, the show is the highlight of my week. Keep up the great work, Tarion. So Tarion wants to know about T.J. Bryant. Yeah, Tarion, I, I just think uh, – uh there wasn't the playing time going to be available for TJ. And I think he knew it. And I think they knew it. And, uh, I think they, they figured that, uh, you know, if you do want to play, uh, one of the ways you can do it is, uh, to get your degree, concentrate on, uh, on schoolwork, uh, this year. Uh, you know, he had surgery, uh, actually, uh, you know, the last two years had, uh, you know, uh, the altercation, you know, with uh, Stanley Havili uh, a year ago, and then this year uh, some uh, shoulder work, and just not ever able to be maybe 100% the last couple of years. And then I think with the, the step up in uh, athleticism at that position and size and strength and speed, which we saw play out as the year went on, uh, I think it was correct that, you know, he wasn't probably going to get a great opportunity there. But if he did want to play uh, uh, a year in college football, the, the, the chance to get a degree and go somewhere else next year would, would be what would do that. Now, whether, uh, you know, that would require dropping down a little bit, you know, maybe to a, a, the level of a, like a Delaware or Villanova or something that Bryce Butler was talking about last year, uh, so that he could play immediately. If he has his degree, he doesn't have to do that. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. We'll see. Uh, uh, but I think he wants to go somewhere else and give it one last shot uh, at college football next year. And, and I think there will be a place for uh, for TJ. I don't think there's any question. He's kind of a tweener size and speed-wise. Uh, he looks more like a safety now. Uh, but he really wants to play corner. I, I remember talking to him about that, and I said, you know, you're you're kind of getting to be safety size. And he said, oh, I'm too athletic to be a safety. You know, he really, uh, you know, prided himself on, on being a cornerback and a cover cornerback, kind of a big cover corner. 
so we'll see. But I, I, I think we'll see him playing football somewhere next year. Okay, thanks for that one, Tarian. Uh, now we have Jeff's question. Uh, sorry for the confusion there. He uh, says, with the increased linebacker depth next year and the years to come, do you see Deion Bailey switching back to safety for his senior year? Well, Deion Bailey is a freshman, so I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I mean, I think, you know, we still don't know what T.J. McDonald's going to do. So uh, uh, I think that's, uh, that's the option right there. Uh, if T.J. would not come back, uh, I think it would be obvious that, uh, that Deion would be back there. Uh, I think that's uh, as much as T.J. will be missed if he, if he chooses to leave because of his, you know, leadership and toughness and all the things he brings to the, you know, a special, special, special kid. I do think that um, that uh, that's a spot that Dion would be a natural to move to, especially you know the the way USC is using their safeties, uh, the way the Pac-12 is going to uh, you know the spread offense uh, league that you've got to be able to defend the spread, and uh, I think. Uh, uh, I think USC will be very fortunate because of the depth in linebackers that they could make that move. And Dion, because of his size and his uh, ability to tackle, you know, in the open open space and all of all of that kind of thing. And and clearly that would be where he'll play in the NFL. Uh, so uh, I think that would be uh, what we're looking at. It's just a matter, I guess, of what year are we looking at that uh, at that move? Uh, but uh, you know, having played linebacker, outside linebacker, the way he has through this last year, certainly should help him uh, when he does move back to safety. I think uh, uh, makes him an awfully, uh, awfully good football player. No, it certainly does. Uh, let's see. Next up from uh, Jeff, he's like, oh, based on the current roster, who do you see starting in place of Nick Perry, uh, Christian Tupo, and uh, Dejon Harris? He's assuming Nick Perry goes pro, apparently. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, basically, you know, they they had three starting defensive ends this year. Uh, so, you know, in effect, those are, you know, with Devon Kennard and Wes Horton, you already have, uh, you know, have that uh, situation kind of, uh, you know, looking at you like, you know, this resolved pretty much. I mean, that's a, a luxury a, a lot of teams don't have. But they, uh, essentially, they considered the three of them uh, starting defensive ends. And I think uh, – uh, Devon really started getting this sense of things. Uh, just, you know, kind of like a Matt Barkley, it just takes you a while. And he had moved around a little bit, but it certainly looked like he uh, he was starting to really exert himself uh, with his uh, physical skills and gifts and all the things he can do um, uh, the second half of the season, like a lot of players on defense. Uh the tackles, I think, without without a doubt, I think George Yuko, uh, who played there a lot uh, the last few games with with Dijon, uh, uh getting uh, you know getting that ankle injury, I think uh, I don't know that we noticed a whole lot of difference. Uh, and then you know Dijon came back and, and played really well. Christian played really well. I think the thing, uh, Dijon and Christian became real leaders also. Uh, you know, Christian more so uh, through the years, but then Dijon, I think, stepped up as a senior. And, uh, and, and replacing that will be a big deal, I think. Uh, uh, I think J.R. Tavai, I'll be interested to see how big he gets. Uh, I think he started out at 270. I know there are people who think he could play at 300. I don't know that we know what kind of a 
and he's got a wonderful athletic frame, a wide, strong, you know, frame. And how he'll uh, how he'll put on the weight, I don't know. I would also think Antoine Woods becomes a real, uh, just you know, just a kind of an immovable object down there as a nose uh, as a nose tackle, uh, who showed a lot of uh, a lot of ability in uh, in the eleven on eleven stuff that you you know that that we saw USC do all fall. I mean, uh, there were always days where you saw him make a play, and uh, he wasn't an easy guy to get out of there. He's got such a low uh, low center of gravity. Uh, I guess about 325 pounds, probably could play a little bit lighter than that and, uh, and work on, you know, he's not a, he's not a guy that's going to, you know, be a long distance runner, uh, as we see when they do the Trojan time, but, uh, but he, uh, he plays tough and hangs in there. So I think it'd be that kind of a combination of, of those guys, uh, uh, for starters. I think that would be the, the three man rotation would be Yuko and Tavai and, and Woods would be, where I would where I would start that to replace the three man rotation this year. Okay, let's see what else we got. Uh, he wants to know who do you think is going to take the reins after Khalid Holmes is done. He's also a junior, so I think he's looking just looking way further into the future. Or they could even be a switch next year. Who knows? But what do you think yeah, about I the mean, future? Of the yeah, center? that's the thing. I'll, and I, I I propose this, and we've had a lot of discussion. People have said, "Wow, I didn't ever think of that." Uh, and we don't know what's going to happen with Matt Khalil. And so uh, uh, if Matt Khalil does not come back, now we're looking at, uh, uh, you know, that left tackle. And, you know, one of the thoughts I had was uh, if you look at Khalid Holmes, one of the things he really does well is he blocks in space. He's the, he's the guy that, that gets to that second level and, and takes people. He's not necessarily the best guy on, with somebody right on him, some big strong guy who's just trying to bull him, you know, bull rush him and all that. But would he be an option because of his size and uh, and uh, his footwork and things like that? Would he be an option uh, to move out to uh, to the left tackle? And I know people would say, well, what, shouldn't uh, we consider Kevin Graff uh, for that spot? And and I know Kevin played there in high school and all that. But I was really pleased with the development of Kevin Graff at that right tackle the second half of the season. I thought he really, uh, really started, you know, uh, taking over and, and just being a, a really, really solid player there, which, uh, which tells me to some extent, you know, why, uh, why mess with that? Uh, you're going to get, I think, Abe Markowitz is going to come back. And now that gives you a guy who can play both guards and the center spot. You also have John Martinez. He John, you know, maybe uh, isn't crazy about playing center, but he's really a good center. He and uh, Abe are, are really good snappers. Uh, I look at Andre Walker, as much as he's played out at tackle, I look at his feet and say he's more of a guard. and He's more of a, a powerful, you know, guy who likes contact, but I see him more uh, as a guard. Uh, so, uh, so Khalid Holmes, and, and he knows if, uh, if we get uh, – uh, uh, Nathan Gertler, uh, he gets his, uh, you know, puts on 25 pounds over the, uh, you know, the off season. He's got a lot of ability. Uh, he's got a lot of, uh, you know, quickness and, uh, and athleticism. He's got real good body lean and, and, uh, leverage and all of that kind of thing. If he get, if he got himself up to, you know, near two, 300 pounds, uh, 
I think he'd be in the mix at left tackle as well. So uh, I think there are a lot of options there, and uh, I think they'll probably look at a lot of those options. Uh, I don't think there's anything set in, in, in stone uh, there. And obviously the first option is what is Mac DeLeo, you know going to do? I thought it was great that uh, uh, when you look at the postseason awards, if I were Mac DeLeo, I think the one I might like the most is the one he got over the weekend from the, uh, the Morris Trophy, which is the um, he's voted as the best outstanding offensive lineman in the Pac-12, voted by the other uh, by the defensive lineman in the Pac-12. And I thought that was interesting because here you got the uh, the guys from Stanford were named on all the all the All-America teams and they were the hot picks. Now they're not ahead of Matt in uh, the NFL draft list. But I also thought that it was interesting that Matt also beat him out by their peers when they voted who was the best offensive lineman they played against uh, in the Pac-12. It was uh, it was Matt Khalil. So uh, his decision has to happen first, and then we'll see, I think, a lot of other things fall into place. But, but a lot of interesting stuff can happen between now and then through the spring. I think it's going to be uh, kind of an interesting time to watch and see uh, – see how they go but uh, there's a lot of things to look at all right uh any chance clay helton joins hugh freeze at old miss how about steve fairchild or pat hill to usc as assistant coaches that's from chuck smith in uh, newport beach i did see clay he was out recruiting saturday night he was at angel stadium for uh the santa margarita san clemente game so he was there with uh, four other different usc coaches so but so he's still out there recruiting but what do you think about maybe some of the staff changes you know, I, it's so hard to guess. I mean, because so many of those kinds of, of changes are, are based on uh, really close personal relationships between guys. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes we're not as aware of how close those relationships are. And, uh, you know, for example, if, if, if you were going to make a move like that, uh, uh, and it's a, gi- a gigantic lifestyle change and all that, you know, if you're going from, you know, Los Angeles, uh, Oxford, Mississippi, or wherever you're going, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And, you know, so so many of those decisions are based on, uh, you know, family and, and school and uh, long-term opportunities and all of that kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I don't, have as good a feel for some of those, uh, you know, personal relationships. I think it's really hard to know. Um, but a, a lot of college football coaching is you really like to be around. You're, you're really the guys you're really close to. Uh, and yet this is a group at USC right now that really, they look like they really, really love what they're doing. They get together so well. They have so much fun. Uh, they enjoy the kids. They enjoy their jobs. Uh, this is as, as, as good a staff in terms of just general liking one another, camaraderie, and all of that kind of thing. Plus, the other thing you're looking at if you're at UFC right now is look at the opportunities uh, in the next few years uh, with what's here uh, and what can happen. So, boy, it's really hard to make. I mean, if I were, you know, even if you were the person, you know, thinking about making a move, that would be a very hard decision. For us to try to get in between 
on that and gas uh, is all we're doing is guessing I think at, at this point. Uh, all right, and then we have a couple of people had questions on the comments you made about uh, USC. I mean the SEC last week. Um, let me see. There, the first one is from Jeremy. So last week you answered a question about whether or not US, USC should leave the Pac-12 and join the SEC. It occurred to me that every reason for joining the SEC could also be argued for becoming an independent, except where potential for more income coming in from television rights. It seems like the only major drawback would be losing access to the Rose Bowl. And then Bob was commenting on on that as well uh, about the SEC only playing eight games in a conference, and uh, the, the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, and Big Twelve do that, but the the Pac-12 is shooting itself in the foot by scheduling nine conference game, like another reason uh, that USC could leave the conference. So maybe kind of clarify some of your thoughts on those. Well, to be honest, I, my number one thought on the whole BCS thing and conference affiliation is, uh, is actually from the war room. And I think most people got it in Friday's war room. My thought is, I would love to see the Pac-12 and the Big Ten go back to the way it was. You know, they're, you know, you got this year, uh, and, and the 2013 game will be the last game played under the uh, current uh, BCS contract. And it would be, I think, perfect time for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten to say to the SEC, you win. You guys, you figured out, you came up with the BCS. Then you figured out how to game it and how to game the computers and how to game your schedules. And now you've got two teams in the championship game, one of whom, you know, still hasn't scored. A, you know, they've scored as many touchdowns as UCLA did, you know, or both of them, I guess, when they played one another, scored as many touchdowns as UCLA did against USC. And yet there they are in the championship game. And I would think, I would like to see them go back and say, we're going to drop out of the BCS. We're going to go with the uh, Rose Bowl. It's the best bowl game of all by far. The original game that matters. Uh, uh, no, nothing can match the Rose Bowl. And we'll take our chances with AP. And if one of the you know teams in the Big Big Ten or the uh, Pac-12 is good enough to win the national championship, we'll trust the uh, uh, the AP voters uh, to get it right. And we don't really care about what the uh, SEC does with eight home games and playing four stiffs and never leaving the South and all of that, great. Go ahead. Go for it. But you can win whatever portion of the national championship you think the BCS is going to qualify you for. But uh, we know going forward, and I know guys have all different formats for tinkering with the system, whatever they do, the SEC is going to beat you at it. They're going to figure it out. I mean, when they – Tell people, for example, Trent Richardson is like this greatest running back we've ever seen. And you think, wait a minute, they couldn't score a touchdown at home in the only game they played all year that mattered. And, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's mind-boggling. Uh, I mean, Alabama went 100 years without a, without a Heisman Trophy winner until, you know, Ingram a couple of years ago. And now it's like, are they going to have a guy in, in the top five every single year just because he's the Alabama tailback? Uh, I think I think the Big Ten and the and the and the Pac-12 ought to just you know say the heck with this. No, I think USC needs to stay in the Pac-12 right now. I don't think there's any question about it with what they've given up in terms of uh, uh, their ability to negotiate anything. I mean, when they gave away all the rights 
for you know everything pretty much. Uh, and so that Washington State now has you know a better TV contract than Notre Dame, uh, and that they've given you know the Pac-12 all the ability to compete with USC, except for the fact that they're not USC. So I don't I don't think it's wrong that the Pac-12 is going to be better. Uh, all along the way, and you're going to have to avoid, you know, getting upset. But uh, uh, I don't think you're ever going to see a situation where the BCS will have rules like every conference has to play eight games or every conference has to play nine games or, you know, every conference can't have a championship game. Uh, uh, the SEC is always going to have an advantage because they can play four stiffs at home and sell out. And there's nobody in the, you know, other than in Oregon, there's nobody in the Pac-12 that will ever be able to do that. So that'll never, you'll never have a a, a, a level playing field, I don't think, with the uh, with the other conferences. And uh, so um, I think, uh, you know, I, I would be really, you know, inclined to say uh, go back to the way it was and take your chances with the polls. And uh, and let the pack, you know, let the SEC say, you know, we're number one, we're number one. Well, except for the Pac-12 and the in uh, the Big Ten, that would drive them crazy, and that would be pr- kind of justified with the way they've taken advantage of the system. Because it's clear, I mean, you know, in the old days, they would play USC. I mean, USC really helped Alabama, for example, in the days of integration and and Bear Bryant. He needed USC. And USC would go down and they would go to Birmingham and play Alabama. USC would go to Arkansas. USC would go to Baton Rouge. USC didn't have a whole lot to gain on some of those, uh, in some of those games. And yet USC was willing to do that. I guarantee you now none of those teams would come to L.A. to play USC. You know, it wouldn't even surprise me if there's some kind of a almost uh, unofficial ban on SEC teams playing USC after what happened to them in the last decade. Uh, and so I, I don't, I, I wouldn't want USC necessarily to think that they have to figure out a way to compete in the BCS. I doubt that they, that they really can. I mean, I think every once in a while, and maybe next year will be the time where they'll get lucky and they'll get through the, uh, you know, the Pac-12 schedule and they'll, uh, you know, get that chance to play, uh, and LSU possibly in the uh, in in Miami uh, for the championship, but uh, but I don't know that that's the way I'd necessarily go uh, at this time. But uh, but if I were the Big Ten, the Pac-12, I'd be taking a serious look at uh, going back to the Rose Bowl and letting your teams then be available for all the other bowl games. But uh, but uh, let the Rose Bowl decide, let the voters decide, and it would be I think as much problem as some of us have with the voters uh by the end of the year getting usc up to number five in the ap poll tells you that they kind of got it right uh they got it closer to being right than uh than the bcs uh you know did so uh anyway that's my uh that's kind of my latest take on, on where i think this all plays out okay well dan we really appreciate you uh come on the show and sharing all the insights as always and and again looking forward to next week 200th episode uh mckay's 11 o'clock uh it's right next to the usc campus next to the galen center we'll tape the podcast there and if you have any questions for the whole staff coach harvey hyde dan weber gerard martinez myself we'll all be on there we're also have another show tomorrow uh trojan blast on tuesday so if you have any more questions you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com recruiting questions gerard and i will 
do our best to answer that. But thanks again for coming on, Dan. Oh, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks, Ryan. See you next week. All right. Take care. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning into the Peristyle Podcast. And we'll see you tomorrow on the Trojan Blast. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Music